0: Psalm chapter 13, Saints of God, will be our text for this morning. Psalm 13. Saints, this is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul? Having sorrow in my heart all the day, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Saints of God, you may be seated. It's fitting that we look at one of David's great prayers on a day in which we will have corporate prayer. What do you do, saints of God? when your enemies won't leave you alone? What do you do when you feel anxious in your soul and you must take, and you're left to taking counsel in your own soul? What do you do when you live with grief in your heart all the day? What do you do, Christian, when you feel that God doesn't love you? When it seems like God has abandoned you, What do you do, congregation, when it seems like prayer is no longer working? When it feels like when you pray, God is simply ignoring you? What do you do? If you were to tell David, what do you do? David will say, well, the answer is simple, Christian. The answer is simple. Have faith and pray. Have faith and pray. It's a simple answer, is it not? But given all of what I just said, it's sometimes the hardest to do. When your world itself has gone dark, and when you feel like the one who is the only one that could give you light is not giving you light, to continue to pray can be challenging and to be difficult. To continue to have faith can be a great obstacle for us. But saints, this is the situation we find our our brother David in in Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, we see David not as the conqueror of Goliath, Psalm 13 presents to us David, who is not the wise political leader, but but Psalm 13 presents to us the pain in the soul of David. Psalm 13 does not present to us that, that great lion who is going to slay that great giant, but... But Psalm 13 presents to us the stressed and confused David. Presents to us one who's been having sorrow in his soul for just a long time now. But also Psalm 13 presents to us the great faith of David. The great faith of David. Saints of God, as studying this Chapter, I I said to myself, I, I appreciate the Lord not only in giving us revelation, but also I appreciate the Lord giving us chapters like Psalm 13. Oh, isn't that such a great joy to know that God condescends to us and gives us such short but powerful and applicable chapters in the Bible like Psalm 13 because as I'm reading Psalm 13, I'm reminded of, of how human the authors of Holy Scripture are. We know David and his mistakes, but also his great conquests and also his great achievements. The Bible presents to us men who are much like us. God uses men to pen His holy words who don't live their lives, although some may live on the hill, their lives themselves may not be living on a hill. That their lives themselves are very problematic. That there is much pain in the life of the saints. These men and women whom God gave His words to are men and women who did not live the Christian life with no problems at all. But in fact, the saints in the Bible encountered problems like all the rest of us. When we read a chapter like Psalm 13, we see a man who's not much different than us, who's actually very much like us. The David, the great David, who wrote Psalm twenty three, we, we know of all the things that he done is as we come to Psalm thirteen, he he presents himself as human as we are. He feels the same pain that we felt before. He assumes things about God that we haven't all assumed before. In Psalm 13, there's much we can identify ourselves with, but also there is much that we can learn from our brother David. As much as we see ourselves in David's pain, we also must see ourselves in David's great resolve. The 13th chapter of Psalm congregation teaches us many things. Many things. It teaches us that... When your life seems unclear, it doesn't mean that God is blind. It teaches us, congregation, that when your prayers have not been answered in a timely manner, that God has not stopped listening to you. Oh, saints of God, I hope you hear me today. I hope you hear me today. Psalm 13 teaches us that prosperity is no sign of God's presence. And that troubles are no sign of God's absence. But it teaches us that in good times and in bad times, most especially in bad times, God not only is near to you, but also you are to go to him in prayer. Go to him in prayer. As we come to verse 1 of our text, we read words from a man who simply put has ran out of words to say. Verse 1, David is saying things, it would seem improper. It would seem unfitting, especially to the one whom he is praying to, whom he is talking to. Have you ever been there, congregation? When you've prayed so much, that you simply no longer know what to tell God. That you've prayed for the same thing and the same thing and has not been answered. You feel like you're just wasting your time. What else can I say to God? What do you tell God when you can't find the words to say? Consider with me verse one. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Oh, Lord, notice, saints, David starts his prayer, not how we would start our prayer, not how the Lord said to model how we are to pray our father that is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. David does not begin his prayer with a declaration of who God is. That's how we would begin our prayers. Lord, you are so good. Oh, Lord, you are so wise and loving. No, David doesn't begin that way. David doesn't even start his prayer with praise. He doesn't praise God for who he is and what he has done, but rather David starts his prayer with a question. He starts his prayer with a question. And the question, saints of God, that reveals to us how desperately in need David is in. This one question sets off a list of four questions that David has for God. First, he asks God, how long? How long? How long, oh Lord? It's common for a Christian to say, in fact, I grew up hearing... Whatever you do, don't ever question God. Whatever you do, whatever you say to God, don't question the Lord. The saints of God, that is far from how Christians act in the Bible. Habakkuk asked the Lord, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence. And you will not save? No. The saints ask God questions. The saints present to God questions. You see, saints, it's not wrong to question God. If your questioning of God comes from a place of faith. Do you remember what James says? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to them. But notice, how are you to ask God? But He must ask in faith, without any doubting. You must ask in faith, without any doubting. James' criteria for questioning God is what we see in our verses this morning, do we not, congregation? See, David is not questioning God as if he's lost all hope in fact David is not questioning God as if he is now in the sin of despair but rather David is questioning God because God is the only one that can help David again David is not questioning God as if God can't do anything but rather David is saying God I know you're the only one that can do something David has such a high view of God, congregation. In fact, this same David that complains to the Lord in Psalm 13, uh, we must remember is the same David that says of the Lord in Psalm 139, even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I cannot comprehend it. David knows that God is in supreme control of all and everything. David knows that God puts things into motion, keeps things into motion, and brings things out of motion. David knows that. And saints of God, here is where this prayer is so, so striking that in light of what David knows theologically, in light of his high view of God, the 13th chapter of the psalm, David starts off with saying, How long, O Lord? The one who knows it all, he says, Lord, now tell me how long? How long? These past few days... I've been in the hospital with my wife as she has had her appendix removed. And you know, as much as I appreciate the nurse's care and the service that the hospitals provide, I, I greatly much appreciate those those great institutions that the Lord has given to man. The one thing that I cannot stand while at the hospital is the waiting game. Can, can I get? Yes. Amen. That is the one thing that I hate with all my heart. That the Lord worked on me while waiting. While I continue to wait. While what they said it's just going to be a little bit, just a little bit longer. But I continue to Wait. The waiting game. But most especially. But most especially on that last day. On that last day that you know you're going home. And in order for you to go home, the doctor must come in and examine the patient and see if everything is working right, if the wound is healing up, if your digestion is good. Congregation. That is kind of like David's situation right now. That, That is kind of like David's situation in the 13th Psalm. Here in our text, it is as if David is in the hospital. And he's just waiting on God to examine him. He's saying, God, how long are you going to take for you to get to me and examine me? How long, Lord? I need an examination. So how long? How long is my wait? Carnation. You can sense from David's opening words that he feels a sense of divine abandonment. Of divine abandonment. Saints of God, hear me now. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? The pain in my body won't go away. How long, oh Lord? You, you, you know my marriage is struggling. How long, oh Lord? You know my financial crisis. How long, oh Lord? You know my work schedule. I can't be with the saints as much as I want to. Oh, how long, oh Lord? The car continually continues to, to break down on me. How long, O oh Lord all of us at some point congregation have asked the Lord this question. How long? How long? And notice what David says next in verse one will you forget me forever? Will you forget me forever? David is not only looking for a resolution to his problem. It's almost as if David is saying, I don't even want my problems resolved. But would you just talk to me? Would you just show me a sign that you hear in me? You know God, or rather you are the God who knows all. The God who doesn't forget anything except the sin that we have been forgiven of. So, Lord, why are you so silent when I talk to you? Oh, saints. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. And feeling what David feels. Have you ever felt this, congregation? That not that you've been forgotten by just some random person, but when you feel like you've been forgotten by God. Have you ever felt like you were left to deal with your problems all by yourself? That God doesn't even hear you, but even worse, maybe God has forgotten about me. Maybe I'm just too far down the list for God to get to. Here, saints, we don't even know the full extent of David's worries. But we can see from his words how desperate of need he is of divine help. David not only feels like God isn't listening to him, he doesn't only feel like God has forgotten about him, but also David feels like God is mad at him. The ending of verse 1, David says, How long will you hide your face from me? At the end of Pastor Antonio's sermons, he gives that great, ironic blessing to the congregation, to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Praise the Lord. Essentially, for God's face to shine upon you is for God to be good to you. It's for God to be good to you. Is to receive the blessings of God. But notice what David is saying. David is saying, how long will you hide your face from me? Here David assumes what we all assume when we feel like God doesn't love us, hear us, and has forgotten about us. God is mad at me. He must be mad at me. He must be mad at me. I mean, that is the only, that is the only logical reasoning, right? That, that God doesn't hear me because he's mad at me. And the reason why we come to that conclusion, saints of God, is because that's how we act. That's how we act. When we don't want to hear someone, when we want to forget about someone, Wives, you know this well. Being in relationships, especially my wife who's listening to me, being in a relationship with a very difficult male, when you don't want nothing to do with them, you're mad at them. You're angry with them. And see, we take our human experience, and what we do is we apply it to God. God. We take our ordinary human experience and how others act toward us and how we act toward others and we just apply it and run it to God. That congregation is what David is doing. That's what he's doing. He's essentially asking God, Lord, why are you mad at me? What did I do, Lord? Why are you so angry with me. And I can sympathize with, with David's question because in this whole chapter, if you read it, we get no evidence or indication that David has done nothing wrong. There is no sin that David is repenting of. There is no, no clear indication that David is on God's bad side. And so you can see Why David is so confused. We can surely identify with David, can we not, congregation? Especially as we come to verse 2. When David says, how long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all the day? But I love the way the ESV translates this. It says, how long must I take counsel in my own soul? That is to say, there is no therapist that could help David. There there is no social worker or doctor that could help David with his problems. There is no one whom David can talk to. Mommy and Daddy is not around. Even that best friend who loves to give advice isn't there. No one could help David in the mess that he's in. So what does David do? He does what we do. He begins to talk to himself. He begins to talk to himself. He begins to be his own therapist, his own doctor. He begins to reason why God is being the way that he is. He begins to think of ways in which all of his problems will go away. And we get a glimpse of one of David's problems in the end of verse 2. David says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? David here is essentially telling the Lord, Lord, you're not only allowing my enemies to to be a thorn in my side, but you're letting them win. You're letting my enemies win. In this life congregation, especially in the times that we are living in now, maybe the easiest way to make an enemy is by simply telling them that you're a Christian. By telling them you're a Christian. But also, saints of God, you must know that there are some enemies that come ready-made. That there are some enemies that are not waiting for you to fail, but from jump, they're already on you. They're already your enemies. David even says in verse, verse 4 how if he sleeps the sleep of death, his enemies will, will delight over him not being around. Oh, saints, just live righteously unto God in the public square and see your enemies mount up against you. Just go against the grain a little bit and see your enemies start to come out. David not only sees his enemies, but he sees his enemies exalting over him. And this, saints, is what caused David such great, great sorrow. He says, Will grief in my heart all the day. With sorrow in my heart all the day. Have you ever been there, congregation? You wake up, sorrow is there. You go have breakfast, sorrow is there. Sitting there with you. You go to work. Sorrow is riding shotgun. You get to work. Sorrow is in the next building. You get off from work. You come home, eat your dinner. Sorrow is there. You go to bed at night. Sorrow climbs in the bed with you. You wake up the next morning, and sorrow says, good morning. Saints, have you been there before? When sorrow is there, not just for an hour or two, but all the day. All the day. Let's get to some resolution here. What's David's problem with these complaints? What's the problem with his questioning of God? One of the problems is found in the beginning of verse 2. When he says, how long? must I take counsel in my own soul? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? Now, why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? Well, when life has begun to have its way with you, and the problems of this world are with you all the day, what we don't want to do, first and foremost, is try to reason and think our way out of the problems. That's what we don't want to do. We don't want to reason and think of why we are in this mess. Because when we reason and think our way out of problems, then we come up with false ideas like, God must have forgotten about me. God must be mad at me. God must not love me anymore. Saints of God, if you don't take your problems first and foremost to the Lord, then you can very well reason and think your way out of Christianity. And many have done it before. Do you remember what the great proverb says in Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. You see, David here starts off leaning on his own understanding. Notice the words I was using. David feels. He feels this way. But here's the beauty of Psalm 13 congregation. David begins leaning on his own understanding. And then he begins to lean on the Lord. He starts off leaning on his own self. And then toward the end, he throws his hands up and says, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I surrender. I'm not strong enough. In spite of whatever David may feel, here's the beauty. He still came to the Lord in prayer. In light of what David may feel, he still came to the Lord in prayer. Essentially, David is saying, my own soul is not good enough to give me counsel. So let me do, let me do the first thing I should have done. He goes to the Lord. Saints of God, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord congregation. Take your problems and your worries to the Lord. Do not hold your problems and your worries to your weak self. Because you cannot win on your own. You cannot get over the hump on your own. Go to the Lord congregation. Instead of crying on your pillow, instead of crying on your bed instead of crying to your best friend, instead of crying to your pastor, cry to the Lord. Before you do all that, cry and go to the Lord. And when you go to the Lord, and when you spill your whole soul onto Him, let us not make the same error that David did. That is, looking for an answer right there and then. Right there and then. It's common for us to live by this This unwritten rule that when someone texts or calls you, it's it's proper to respond in a timely manner. You you text me at 8 a.m., don't take three weeks to respond. You, you, You call me, don't take a few weeks to call me back. You email me, please email me back in a timely manner. And since we have taken that unwritten rule... And what we have done is we have applied it to God in prayer. Have we not done that? Meaning, it may be appropriate to text someone back as soon as possible. But let me tell you, congregation, God does not need to respond to our prayers in a timely manner. God does not need to respond to our prayers Right there and then. God is not on a schedule by which He must respond by the end of the day. No, 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 no. When God responds, it is always the right time. And when God responds, it is always the perfect time. You know, my daddy used to sing this old song. I don't know all the words, but I just do know... I don't know if it's the hook or whatever. He may not be there when you want Him. But He'll be there right on time. And again, God's time is always the right time. Always the right time. We can't help it though. We are such seekers of quick resolve, are we not? That is why we take Tylenol and ibuprofen. Because we are trying to numb and stop the pain as quick as possible. But saints of God, when you're a believer in God, our great promise is not that God will right away take away your problems. Not that when problems are in your life, once you pray, they stop being in your life. But the great promise of God is that when we are in the midst of problems, God will help us live. That God will help us live in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our problems. And as we come to the end of David's prayer, I love this part. As we come to verses 5 and 6, here's the beauty, saints of God. Faith begins to mount up. Faith begins to rise. Faith begins to take over reason. Faith begins to take over the whole soul of David. You see, saints, the beauty of faith, faith does things that the world scratches its head at, such as faith will cause you to pray to God when it feels like you're being ignored. Faith will cause you to pray to God when it feels like God doesn't love you. Faith will cause you To get on your knees when your knees are already sore. That's what faith does. Faith will cause you to do some things that the world will say, like like Job said to his wife, just curse God and die. Faith grabs hold of the hand of God and says, I will hold on to you. And notice what he says in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord, Enlighten my eyes. Enlighten my eyes. It is as if David is saying, God, all of what I said in verses one and two, it's just what I feel. That's just me talking. You know, you know me, God. I'm in my feelings. Now, Lord, help me see what is reality. From verses 1 and 2, I was looking at things from a human point of view. Now, Lord, help me see how I'm to Look at my problems. And saints of God, God immediately answers his prayer. David wanted eyes to see. What does he say in the next verse? But I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Already within this chapter, God does not answer David's prayer with regard to his problems. But He answers David's prayer with regard to his perspective. And when you have a right perspective, then all you can deal with your problems a lot more easier. He says, let me see. And the first thing he says is, I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall so rejoice in your salvation. Congregation here, David shows us that sometimes the frustrations of the present will cause us to forget what God has done in the past. We don't know the full reason why God allows some troubles of our life to stay with us so long. Paul had the same issue. Lord, why is this thorn still in my side? But we can say that the blessings that we receive from God and the problems of life are a package deal. That we know that you don't get blessings without also having some problems. That you don't get God's favor without also getting God's refining. In other words, congregation, if you've been asking God to take away something from you, and for whatever reason God has not taken away yet, you're still stuck, you still have the same problems, you're still in that, that that season of suffering, saints of God, that may be a clue that the same God who blesses you is also the same God who puts stuff in our lives to keep us humble. That the same God who blesses us is the same God who will allow us to have a thorn in our side for longer than we would like To humble us. To humble us. But the same God who feeds us. The same God who clothes us. The same God who is constantly showing us the riches of His grace. Is the same God who gives us problems that will keep us on our knees in prayer. You think God won't do it? He does it all the time. He does it to the saints that we all Revere and look up to as our spiritual masters. They all went through the mess of life. It is like that jeweler. That when you see that diamond in the midst of other diamonds, it's not really that special. But when that jeweler puts that black velvet backdrop on that glass screen and, or glass case and he puts that diamond right on the center, what do you begin to see? You begin to see things that when that diamond was in the light, you couldn't see. You begin to see things in that diamond, the clarity, the beauty, that when the light was on, you didn't appreciate. When the light was on, You didn't see it for what it is. Saints of God, sometimes God shuts the lights off in your life. Sometimes, saints of God, God allows your world to go dark for a little bit. In order for us to remember and see how bright of a light He truly is. You see, when everything is going good, yes, we praise God. But when everything is going bad, that's when we see how good God is. God sometimes puts that black velvet backdrop on our lives. And covers our world in darkness. So that the only light that shines is Him. And we are to remember His goodness. We are to remember His love for us. His kindness toward us. Oh, hear me say this. Because you know, we all have spiritual amnesia. All of us. We all have spiritual forgetfulness. All of us. And it doesn't take much for us to quickly forget how good the Lord has been to us. Two tragedies that the Lord has, by His grace and mercy, worked out and will continue to work out, has happened in my family one, my brother Tony, had to be in the hospital for an extended period of time, almost lost his life. My beloved wife, emergency surgery, saints of God, in those times, when my world was going dark, oh, how quick it was easy for me to just say, Lord. Do you love me? That's easy. That's easy. But rather God, and if He gives you the grace to cooperate, cooperate so that when you're in that waiting room in the hospital, when you're in that room, you see people on their deathbed, people sick, you can still say, God, you're good. Oh, Lord, you are good. Saints of God, when your soul is sorrowful all the day, when the burdens of life are too much for you to bear, if you can remember the words of St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory Far beyond comparison. Saints of God, if you can remember in your moment of affliction the words of Micah in Micah 7, but as for me, I will be on watch for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, my God and my salvation. My God will hear me. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I live in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. Saints of God, if you are in the midst of some struggle, if you're in the midst of pain, if you can remember Job's words in Job 13, though he slayed me, I will hope in him. And if you can't remember all that, if you can't remember Job's words, if you can't remember St. Paul's words, if you can't remember Micah's words, just remember David's words in, in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Saints of God, we must hold on to these truths. When sorrow, when sorrow is in our lives. And what's the great result of David's prayer? What's the great result? It's the best part of the whole text. Verse 6. I will sing to the Lord. Because he, because he has looked out for me. Oh, go! What started out as David's pain ended in David's praise. The same voice that was complaining to the Lord is now singing to the Lord. What that means, congregation, is that when you're going through something, prayer will turn your pain into praise. Prayer will turn your pain into praise. And congregation, when David says, I will sing to the Lord, the best time to sing to the Lord is not when everything is going good, but the best time to sing to the Lord is when the bottom falls out in your life, is when you got some sorrow in your soul, is when your heart is broken. That is the best time to sing to the Lord. Saints of God, this is what God does to us in prayer. God will do things to us in prayer that the world cannot understand. God in prayer will give you a smile when you ain't got none to smile about. God will give you, uh, keep you running when there ain't no one chasing you. God will keep you laughing when there ain't nothing funny that God will give us a song to sing when the bottom falls out in our life. Because in prayer, what the world doesn't know is that in prayer, God reminds us that He causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him. That's what the world can't know. That's why the world asks us, why are you smiling when I know you're in sorrow? Why are you laughing when no one has made a joke? How... Are you able to keep moving when you're in some quicksand? Because we know. We know that we worship a big God. That we worship a God who has dealt with and continues to deal with problems that are much bigger than mine. Because God will work all things out. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And my eagles will come. And I'm going to fly with them. Saints of God, this sermon is really just to tell you this one thing. Go to the Lord in prayer. In good times, go to the Lord in prayer. Bring your worries to the Lord. Bring your problems to the Lord. Bring your complaints to the Lord. Bring your questions to the Lord. Bring your fears to the Lord. Bring your tears to the Lord. And when you do, and when you do, remember the words of St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to Him, who was able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations and forever. Amen. Let's pray.